right, are y'all ready to preach together? We're going to do this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dig it. <laughs> this will be an adventure in my uh, ADD, so <laughs> may the Lord be with us all. <laughs> Let's pray as we continue in worship. We give thanks to you, Lord, for you are good. Your love endures forever. And tonight we pray that your spirit would uh, continue to speak through our time, that you would be offering us a word of hope or encouragement. Tonight I pray, spirit, that you would even form a hedge of protection around this place, that you would come and be a very present help, that you would be the very uh, presence of healing, that you would bring uh, a sense of freedom to all of us in the room. And that Holy Spirit, uh, you would come and do what only you can do, which is to speak truth. And together we pray the prayer that you taught us as we pray, whose Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up a series called Old Timer Saints, where we've been looking at encounters with Jesus in Scripture, most of them perhaps well-known passages, the woman at the well, who Jesus intentionally goes to Samaria to call her out, to call her into service. For her to share not all of the the details about her past that brought about stigma or shame, but for her to be called into this role of being a leader. And along with her, we looked at the saint of of Methodism, Susanna Wesley. We also took a look at a, a mother who was begging for healing for her daughter. And in the exchange with Jesus, um, there's this this point in which the mother says, look, even if it's just crumbs off of the table, I believe that you can do what you say you can do, which is bring healing. You know, sometimes when we begin to use this word, the saints of the faith, we, th- we think about superheroes. These are not superheroes. <laughs> These are ordinary people like you and me, and the reason that they are saints is time and time again, they're turning their attention to God. And sometimes it feels like they are sitting at this banquet feast, but other times it just, it feels like crumbs that are coming off the table. And so we looked at that passage along with Mother Teresa, who was an incredible woman who did amazing things and also felt very distant from God. Last week we looked at this wake-up conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus And we talked about another man who surrendered certainty in order to seek imagination, C.S. Lewis. And I hope as we've been moving through this series that you have a couple of saints that have come to mind. People who have invested in you. Not that they were perfect, but they were the very people who time and time again could help you to remember to turn your attention to God. 
that they would bring to you peace like a river. They would help tune your heart to sing God's praise. I love that line from the hymn that we sang together. The saints in our lives who brighten hope when we feel discouraged, those that energize our hands and our feet towards service, those who show us that forgiveness is possible, most of all when we least deserve it or earn it. Because that's the sign of mercy, true mercy, is forgiveness and love that is given to us A theologian named Dr. Andrew Walls says the gospel is good news. It means accepting an invitation that we had no right to receive. But that invitation comes to us from God. It's in perfect calligraphy with your name written on it. Tina, accept this good news. You are God's beloved. Kathy, accept this good news. You are God's beloved. LT, Accept this good news, you are God's beloved. Insert your name here, you are God's beloved. And tonight what I want us to think about are the saints who sing to us and over us. There's a passage from Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. I've always known just the verse, I never knew it in the fuller context, which that's what the journey of life is all about, is learning the context, yeah? We could spend a lot of time there. But Zephaniah 3.17, it'll be on the screens for you as well. The Lord rejoices over you with singing. The Lord rejoices over you with singing. Now, the context of this is when the prophet is speaking and the city of Jerusalem still was not repaired or rebuilt, the people of God had not yet turned their hearts back towards God. But this is what God does. God shows up in the unbuilt, unrestored, messy, deserted places of our lives, and God begins to sing over those places to bring out healing. And so the two saints that we will be looking at tonight, one is this encounter between Jesus and a man who lived among the tombs, a man who lived in a deserted place. And then also one of the great, uh, he, was, he lived in the second century, so he would be like our great, 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 you get the idea, right? <laughs> great to the 37th factor. Grandfather of our faith, Antony, an Egyptian, a man born on the continent of Africa, whose very calling was to do this, was to go out into the desert for most of his life and to sing to the demons. Whoa. (laughs) All right, that's the teaser. That's where we're headed tonight. Buckle up. It's going to be good stuff, but let's, uh, let's first hear our scripture. Tina is going to read that for us from Mark chapter 5. Encourage her as she comes. Hello, family. This is from Mark 5, 1 through 13. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, A man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. 
This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day, in the tombs and in the hills, <clears throat> he would haul and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, what have you done? What, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He responded, legion is my name because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us to the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and were drowned. Thanks, Tina. <laughs> it's a pretty graphic picture. I mean, the, the Sea of Galilee is huge. If you've been up to Lake Conroe, I mean, Lake Conroe is massive. But can you imagine if you rounded the corner on Lake Conroe and there were 2,000 pigs bobbing in the water, you would say, what the heck's going on? <laughs> If you're from Louisiana, you would say it's time for a couchon delay. Build out the microwave, let's get this thing going. That is a pig roast for you non-Cajun speakers. I, honestly, we have been talking a lot about how we read scripture and to let it kind of influence our imagination. And, and quite candidly, that's the part of the passage I never know really what to do with. Of Jesus and, and these evil spirits, and I think what we can't miss here is that they were under the authority and the direction of Jesus. They needed permission in order to do anything, and that is good news in this room tonight. <laughs> there is a power that has a power over any other power. <laughs> but why into the pigs? Why 2,000 of them? The pig farmer, did he have insurance? Uh, all these questions. <laughs> I have so many questions. And so I'm going to invite you to do what I had to do on the regular this week, which is kind of set that aside, but then have a conversation with God about it. <laughs> this man lived among the tombs. He was unable to be restrained. And what was inside of him sought to destroy him. He'd cry out in a deserted place. He begged for help. The help that people brought was to try to tie him down to keep him from harming himself. But it wasn't that type of help he needed. And then one day, as so many boats before had landed in the vicinity of this area, but had never landed right at the cemetery to walk into it, one day a boat lands and the very creator of the universe steps onto shore. 
And it says in the passage, he sees Jesus from a distance. You see, what was inside of him had not consumed him. He was still there. And many of us in this room know what that is like to have something inside of you that is trying to consume you, whether, whether that is this never-ending story of I need to be perfect or this never-ending story of an addiction that just grabs a hold of you or this, this weight of grief that bears you down. And it seems to be consuming you from the inside out. And what's going on in this story is Jesus walks right into the cemetery. And this man could see him and could call out to him. Because he had heard that invitation that he had no right to receive, that he was God's beloved And so there was the presence of God that could see this man for who he is. And what was inside of him called to come out of him. And finally, just like the song that we were singing earlier, no longer was he struggling to be free. He was free to struggle. Because life is a struggle. If we kept reading the story, he actually begs Jesus, let me come with you on this healing miraculous tour. I want a front row seat to what you're doing in other people's lives, like what you have done for me. And Jesus says, go back into the village. It fully clothes him. (laughs) He's restored to his right mind and he is raised up to be a leader among those who once tried to hold him down. So what is it in life that has been consuming for you? Maybe it is grief. And grief can feel like you are living among the tombs. Something or someone that you love is gone. And you find yourself in a deserted place. And the grief inside of you wants to consume you with a story of bitterness. You begin keeping the list of what could have been done, what should have been done, what could have been said, what should have been said. You begin to practice resentments. And what Jesus, the creator of the world, does is walks into that place and begins to sing over you, to call out from you, to not dismiss your grief, but to join you in your grief and says, I see that your, fo- your tears are like food to you, but I rejoice over you with singing. For sorrow lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You know it. You know this, the rest of the verse. I don't need to spend too much time on it, but addiction is like living among the tombs. I could hear some of you as the passage was being read, yep, know what that's like. (laughs) And to be consumed from the inside out. And you came to believe and to know one day at a time That there is a power, and among this place at Mercy Street, we believe that power is Jesus, the one that was constantly rejoicing over you with singing when you couldn't sing yourself. Depression is like living in a deserted place, not having direction in life. Working at a job that feels like a dead end can feel like living, existing among the tombs. 
So I don't know what your, your cemetery place is right now. Maybe you've just come out of it. If you have, hold on. I got a job. God's got a job for you to do. But if you find yourself among the tombs tonight, just know that you will not be consumed by whatever it is. God sees you. God rejoices over you with singing. And life is possible. Life is yours. Recovery is yours. Healing is yours. I believe that with every bit of imagination and certainty, as much as I believed, God could have the power to drive evil into pigs and run them off a cliff. I can't explain it. This man among the tombs is a saint for us because he reminds us that even in the deserted places, Jesus is there. You will not be left alone. And as I was thinking about what saint could have a conversation with this man, the, the person that came to mind for me, his name is Antony of Egypt. Uh, there are many icons that... Um, depict Antony's calling in life. The one that I chose is uh, a depiction of what I said earlier, his vocation is. Everett, if you wouldn't mind to put up the uh, picture of Antony of Egypt. It's pretty graphic as well. <laughs> Antony lived in... Uh, 180, 190 AD. So he's like third generation of Jesus' followers. He lived in Cairo, Egypt. He came from a wealthy family, but one day he heard this invitation that he knew he had no right to receive. He had enough money, he thought, to receive it, but he realized he needed to give it all away. And so that's what he chose to do. He gave everything away. He put his sister in the care of nuns, Again, saints are never perfect, but his sister, Antonia, became also a great uh, saint of the church. But Antony went to live in the deserted places, and he fasted and he prayed every day. He had heard about the temptation that Jesus endured for 40 days in the wilderness. And Antony said, that is my calling. That's what I feel called to, which is to go into the wilderness, which the understanding of what's going on in the wilderness and the cemetery and the tombs is that there are powers and principalities stirring. I came to learn about Antony of Egypt from Dr. Andrew Walls. He was a Scottish theologian. Um, his song that he sang throughout the 1970s and 80s and 1990s. He just passed away a couple years ago. His song was to remind those of us in the church in America that the gospel is spreading with wildfire in the global south. And that today most Christians live on the continents of Africa, Asia, South America, Latin America. In the past, it was always Europe, and, and we would send missionaries in order to 
preach the gospel and preach the message. And, and Dr. Andrew Walls said, look, we are a part of a tradition in which the story has always been coming from the south to the north and the east to the west. But he was fascinated with Antony of Egypt who went out into the deserted places, and you see the way that the powers and principalities are, are depicted here. In African Nile belief, the deserts are the places where the demons live. And so Antony said, I'm going there to sing the Psalms. And so he started with each Psalm and he began to sing to these powers and principalities. His body literally bore the scars of those interactions. But he sang to these powers and principalities not to destroy them, but to win them over and to call them out. And that is the God we worship and serve. <laughs> the one who embodies microphones at a weird time. <laughs> a God who never seeks us out to destroy us, but a God who rejoices over us with singing and comes into our lives and is not scared of the dark places or the things that we try to hide or the shadows or the things that are gonna consume us. Nope, God comes in. <laughs> And like St. Anthony and like Jesus who entered among the tombs, God sings to us the songs and begins to tune our hearts towards grace, knows that we are prone to wonder, but calls us out and calls us back to life. And so for the better part of... Uh, 40, 50, 60 years, Antony lived in the desert and this was his job. <laughs> and so if earlier you are someone that, that, that you feel like you've come out of the tombs recently and you, you've kind of beginning to come back to life, doesn't mean you have everything together, but you have a song to sing. And I don't know, maybe you're gonna skip through the aisles at the CVS and actually sing it. <laughs> Go for it. But you have a song to sing to remind people that hope, hope always gets the last word. Grace always bats last. Joy is possible even in the midst of the struggle. And that love, love always wins. Well, as we've done each week, I've invited a member of our community to um, engage with this passage as well. And tonight, Luke has uh, prepared for us uh, a reflection, but also an invitation. And so as he comes forward, what word or blessing would you give him as he prepares to speak? Uh, my name is Luke, and I am an alcoholic. <clears throat> uh, thank you, Melissa, for this opportunity. Appreciate it. So I'd like to speak today about using our holy imagination to uh, reflect on this passage from Mark 5 uh, where, uh, um, where Jesus <clears throat> uh, interacts with a, um, a demon-possessed man. 
Um, I learned this technique of using my holy imagination through a study group here at uh, Mercy Street. And the goal is to put ourselves in the passage. What do I see when I'm reading the passage? What do I feel? Um, what would I want to say to the people in the passage? And how does the passage relate to my own life? So this talk is going to focus on three areas. Uh, I'm going to read some snippets from the passage. Um, I'm going to model this technique by talking about uh, my own thoughts and my own feelings. And then I'm going to ask the congregation, um, what came up to you in your own holy imagination? There will be some pauses for reflection. So please, let's take a deep breath and just relax a little bit. A man came with an unclean spirit out of the tombs. He was crying and cutting himself. And he ran and knelt down. What do you have to do with me? Jesus said, come out, you unclean spirit. What came to me? I'm on a beach. I'm standing by the boat. An unclothed man with wild hair comes running down and uh, kneels in front of Jesus. His face is puffy from all the crying. The outside of his thigh has a lot of cuts on it. I'm scared. What do you see when we read this passage? What do you feel? Jesus said, what is your name? My name is Legion. The demons begged, send us to the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. The herd of 2,000 pigs rushed into the sea. My imagination, I see the pigs stampeding into the water. I feel riveted. How did Jesus do this? How can Jesus remain in his own authority in front of a man who's demon-possessed? How do you feel? What did you see? What are your thoughts about Jesus? They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed dressed and now in his, own, in his right mind. They were afraid. They, be, they began to beg Jesus to leave the region. The man begged to remain with Jesus. But Jesus said, go home and be with your own people. Report how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. The man went out to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him, and all were amazed. My imagination, I asked Jesus, how do you not people please others? I wonder, who are my people? I feel fear in sharing with my biological family how God has been good to me and about his grace.
I acknowledge my envy of some people who have this sudden spiritual experience like the man in the tomb. Did they need to develop a support group of their own for when times got tough? Did he want to cut himself anymore? Do you have any questions for Legion, for Jesus? Who are your people? Some people may say, shucks, Luke, this is just a mental exercise. Or is this any more than that? And I say yes. I've read the passage many times before I tried to engage my holy imagination. And by using my imagination, the, the biblical passage came, came more to life to me. Through the process of reading this over and over again, through writing this, uh, I was given the power to have a conversation with my dad. Uh, and I used those words, God, this is how God has been good to me, and used the word um, mercy. I couldn't do that before. So I'm grateful that the Lord has been good to me by getting involved in Mercy Street. And the one-two punch of church plus recovery makes me feel farther away from my legion of addictions that I've ever felt, and that is mercy. Thank you. Thank you. So here's the fine print. The asterisks. <laughs> Poochie, yeah. I knew there was a catch. <laughs> Here's the fine print. <laughs> the gospel is the, the invitation that none of us have the right to receive, but that which we gladly just grab a hold of. And here at Mercy Street, we believe there is this this powerful and sudden encounter of what has consumed us on the insides in which, in which Jesus can speak to and say, come out of, be silent, be driven out of. And we're also a church <laughs> that goes into and shows up at the tombs and we're trying to not just put more shackles on each other, but we're just trying to hold hands and form a circle around and walk with you in the messiness of the process. That's the fine print. <laughs> there is the miracle of here and now and sudden, and there is also the miracle of one day at a time. And we're finally free to struggle in this world, in this life, and no longer struggling to be free from what is going on on the inside. That our insides and our outsides begin to match one another. And we can walk in this, this pathway of healing.